feel how the spirit and how powerful that prayer was? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Cameron, (laughs) you you I'll have to go back out and edit that out. Wow. I'm just giddy with joy today. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting um, not to like go on a tangent right off the bat. (laughs) That's the way we do things, right? But anyway, it's just like, This last week for lots of our book club members has been one of the most challenging weeks. I, I've had lots of different notes and, and things. I was like, oh man, <laughs> the, the trials are really ramping up. And um, I, I feel like my <laughs> pathetic uh, responses, I mean, not pathetic. That's the, my meager uh, responses, just joy, just <laughs> keep going at it because if it's not hard, you're not on the right path. So um, anyway, I, I I love the the second lecture because it gives us such a solid, firm foundation in that, that joy and that gratitude uh, to help us keep pressing forward. Um, I think there's a lot of power. Like I said before, uh, the lecture second was always kind of my least favorite. I would just kind of skip over it. It's like, oh, it's just the genealogy chapters of any holy rich, you know, you just kind of, eh, whatever. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it's it, seriously. Now lecture second is, is probably my second favorite, I guess. It's not my favorite, but um, it, it it's definitely my second favorite because there's so much in here to everything that's taught. Every word is is calculated and um, for our, our benefit in firmly placing our our faith on an object. So what is that object? What is the object on which our faith must rest? As stated in lecture first, um, we're gonna present the subject of faith. First, we're gonna treat on what faith is. Second, the object on which it rests. And thirdly, the effects which flow from it. So what is the object on which it rests? And why is that important for us in our, our faith? journeys well (laughs) it's the obvious question sorry (laughs) i hate when teachers do that to me (laughs) i know (laughs) it's god the father is the object and because he is omni he's all of all these different things it's just all, all power, all time, all knowing, all loving, and just all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's reading from the notes that I put in her book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, while we're there on the omnis, why? Because there, there's five different omnis. Why just list these three? Why is that important in verse two? Um, so it says, we here observe that God is the only supreme governor and independent being in whom all fullness and perfection dwell, who is omnipotent, <laughs> omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Um, and those were all throughout job this week did you guys see that yeah it was was awesome (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's so interesting how everything just keeps playing into each other and and i know it's i everywhere i turn it's like hello (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) so um, taking a look at those, omnipotent uh, is, is powerful, all-powerful, omnipresent, uh, where time is, is circular and all things are present, right? And then omniscient, that it, he is all-knowing. So for an object to firmly rest on something else, I think that these three are very telling. Um, 
like I said, there, there's five different omnis. We also have omnibenevolent and omni, uh, omnificent, but these three are the only ones that are mentioned here as being the, uh, the trifecta of principles on which um, we can rest faith on, on God as the object of our faith. And so I find those very interesting. <clears throat> so going to the, the big question that I had always asked myself, why all the genealogy? Like, <laughs> do we really need a history lesson on, uh, on the patriarchs of the scriptures? Like, why is that listed in here? And why is that important for us to rest our faith on the object of God? thought it was cool that um, from Adam to Noah, Adam knew all of those generations because they lived so long. And so they were able to teach directly from firsthand knowledge about Father and Jehovah right there to all of the people firsthand knowledge in those generations i was like i i was figuring all of that out mathematically and it was just amazing yeah like how would you like to receive your endowment direct from the source right like right here's here's adam going hey there is this garden once upon a time <laughs> yeah firsthand knowledge and i think noah was the only one who missed that but his fathers and grandfathers were so high up. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were the ones mentioned in the Bible the most. And so he knew from his ancestors who are still alive, most of them. Yeah. I yeah. gave me a new outlook on the genealogies. I will never go, oh my gosh, do we have to say all this again? <laughs> yep. oh, it's that connection this is that this is so important yeah because yeah, it's one thing to give a genealogy but it's another thing to go and he begat him when he was this many years old and he lived this long and i mean there's a lot of math and like why but here's yeah. the the why you know it finally uh cleared up for me uh mm -hmm. with the, the lectures themselves yeah, I have a hard time like in primary when I, I remember when I did these lessons, the kids were just, they couldn't believe me that Adam was 930 years old. They're like, <laughs> how is that? And to try to explain to their, their sweet little spirits, you know, that it just is because I didn't know at that time how to explain it. I do now. Mm -hmm. Although I kind of have to be careful. I'm it's hard it's hard to what to say sometimes yeah I, I have to filter myself quite a bit <laughs> yeah yeah especially you know with primary kids and stuff like mm -hmm. where, where's that line of belief and unbelief and <laughs> right but i do yeah. feel the spirit so strong there i i think it's stronger there than in relief society and gospel doctrine honestly those little kids are so powerful they don't know it yet but i can feel it mm -hmm. yeah i love it yeah so let's go with leslie and then terry when i was reading the genealogy i thought of a story that i um heard a man in our ward bear testimony of when and i probably talked about it before once upon a time, but um, it was a, a man that when his, uh, the guy wasn't that much older than me, at least I don't think so, <laughs> I don't know, probably me now, I think is what it is, so don't we think of ourselves sometimes as kind of timeless, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, um, so he's telling a story about when his dad went on a mission so this man was a boy when his dad was called to go on a mission and they left it left his family for i believe it was three years and they had this barrel of of flour and during the that entire three years that uh there was always flour in that barrel and and 
they, uh, he didn't tell me the time. I, I guess I could have figured it out, but I, I didn't. Anyway, I, the spirit was there as I was hearing him bear witness and I completely believed him. I know it to be true. I've read about Elijah and the widow and heard stories of multiplication, but what story do you think that I believe the most? It's the one, it's that one that I heard firsthand. And so I think there's great power in, in feeling the spirit when somebody is telling you something that they experienced personally, that they have a testimony of. So, um, I don't know if there's anything else quite like it. Um, yeah, it's just very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Those numbers don't show up. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's go with Terry. Okay, so like in, um, as, do you call it paragraph 56 or? Uh-huh, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> 56, verse 56, thank you. There you go. So he's talking about them being excited with inquiry and the diligent search of the ancients to obtain a knowledge of the glory of God. And so I think that's to your point of, you know, to Adam uh, down to Moses and their timeline. And also it said somewhere that they, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. And so I can ask, because it was a question for me. It wasn't, um, it w I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable in what I read and, and the knowledge. But anyway, I think that's it, that they gave, it just said they were excited and they gave to the testimony of their fathers, the testimony having aroused their minds to inquire after the knowledge of God. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I love that because like sometimes we just don't even know that certain possibilities exist unless we hear other people testify of them, right? And so um you know it, especially if you have a good relationship with with your forefathers um relying mm -hmm. on on those testimonies and things is like okay i can do this then yeah versus i don't know what are the different options <laughs> like what are the flavors i can choose uh kind of a thing but yeah it excited them to to inquiry and diligent search and you're talking about filters and today was fast and testimony meeting oh. <laughs> Does anybody feel like you could share any of Isaiah or any of the stuff we're learning? Yeah, I try to work it in as much as I can. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, let's see. It's going back to one of the questions here. Um, I think it was question number two. In this version that I've got, I don't know, but I think Tracy has this one, but um, anyway, it doesn't number the questions. And so it, it takes me a second to find some of them sometimes, but um, might be third. Anyway, how do you prove that God has faith in himself independently? I, I found that such an interesting question to, to look and ponder at uh, throughout this week of like, God has to have, yeah, like in the first lecture, we learned that God has faith as well, and, and uh, everything predicates upon that, but now we're looking at the object on which it rests, and he has to have faith in himself, um, that that faith exists in himself independently, and I that was like a, a mind bender for me the first time I read it, but uh, this last week, really pondering upon that and looking at... Um, evidences of that through scripture I, I found just so intriguing but yeah uh jenna let's see you're muted can you hear me now <laughs> yep there you go okay sorry um talk to us about why they got to live so long on the earth. I mean, that's an obvious advantage to live hundreds of years. And why were they blessed to live so many years? Mm -hmm. They need to propagate the earth. Yeah, out of necessity. Um, I think it had something to do with 
before the flood, something was different about the earth before all that rain fell out of the firmament and somehow, I don't know, that's just what I've kind of started mm -hmm. to wonder about. Yeah, kind of a cosmism perspective there. Yeah, because you can see their, their ages go down dramatically after Noah. Shem is 600. Noah was 950. After the flood, Shem was 600. 438, 438, 433, 239, 239, 230, 148, 205. It just starts to nosedive right after the flood. So there was something about the flood and draining the water out of that layer. This is a flat earth thing now. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Yeah. God needed to propagate the earth. There needed to be people on the earth. Um, one way and there there weren't as many diseases and, and such back then yeah that's also true i mean we just have a compounding effect on everything that's uh i mean it's kind of self-inflicted right like we bring a lot of the the stuff on ourselves but um anyway like just a, a <laughs> it really has changed from from there to to now yeah i questioned that a long time ago and read something on it but it's been at least six years ago and i don't know if i ever saved it but i remember asking that question how come they all live so long and then it drastically changed and i had an answer but i've totally forgotten it years later and i don't know where i found it mm -hmm. and i think it had to do with i don't like um um she said it's environment i think and i think it's all the things that everybody said Mm -hmm. um and i think it might have to do with um um the cosmos I, if you believe in that um what is that theory i can't remember that theory but how the planets were closer together mm -hmm. um yeah. so i'm not sure i can't remember what it was but that's kind of what tracy was saying too mm -hmm. well um hugh nibley and michael rush said that their technology was far advanced from ours so they they really could um you know build a tower and think i'll get to god mm -hmm. does that i mean does that make sense? i don't know what i'm asking anyway their their technology was far advanced from what we are now mm -hmm. yeah so kind of <laughs> along that line <laughs> um so like one thing that uh in one of Abraham's thing i can't remember if it's isaiah decoded or not but anyway one thing really sparked a, a huge rabbit hole for me but it was the fact that death is a covenant curse and covenant curses are avoidable if you obey the correct law that yields the blessing instead of the curse. And so uh, anyway, that that always struck me as really odd until I finally started like understanding it and learning it of like death is a, a covenant curse. And, and sometimes it's our own doing, sometimes it's generational kind of a thing. But um, if we can learn the, the divine laws upon which life expectancy is is predicated then you know god is no respecter of persons we we can merit um the the life that we so desire you know when uh, people are are parting the veil and, and christ is asking what is wanted um we see various responses some people want uh the gift of translation some people want to to live so long and then come directly into his presence um, there's many different things, but I believe that the ancients, um, having seen the vision of all and uh, everything, you know, very much like what Darlene Henry said there, they knew that they were at the beginning of the existence of the earth and they wanted to live longer so that they could propagate and multiply, replenish the earth and uh, get it to um, a, a state of, of righteousness. But yet, um 
we see many of them being translated. We see many of them them dying, but um, I, I think that a lot has to do with divine laws that we just don't necessarily understand. Kind of along what you said there, their technology was so advanced. I mean, they were receiving massive downloads and, and amounts of information uh, direct from God because they were learning how to part the veil. They were learning how to commune with God and receive higher light and knowledge for this earth and uh, living accordingly with, with divine laws. Anyway, that's my opinion, but you know, I, I think a lot of that no. has to do with the, the cosmos and, and the planets and the alignments and being able to control um, those things through uh, the power of the only begotten. They were able to advance so that they, they could be translated. They were taken up to the city of Enoch. Yeah. So they had, they have knowledge that we that we're not anyway i'm not privy to <laughs> <laughs> you're getting there <laughs> but yeah it, it's very amazing the the whole relationship that we have with god and what um the lectures on faith is really teaching us right i mean it it's the experience of all holy prophets in the past and they're trying to communicate it to the best of their ability well, not to the best of their, the, the best of our ability to, to comprehend and understand uh, what they're, they're saying. But the whole point of everything is to return to God. And the timing squarely depends upon us and, and the Lord's will in, in that process. How fast you want to go is, is kind of up to us. How, how willing are we to obey uh, divine mm -hmm. laws? Yeah. Yeah, Leslie. Okay. Um, could you, there's a couple things. I, I could really feel the spirit while you were bearing testimony of it. So I, I've never, it, I'm just blown away. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got your tongue. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I okay. So I apologize all y'all. <laughs> I'm just um I'm I'm a little dumbfounded. First of all, I'm looking, I would love to have a definition of a covenant curse that uh, when thinking of death being like that. Um I'm thinking of my sweetheart and having passed away and um, but knowing full well that he, he had work to do that he couldn't do in his mortal state. Um, I'm not knowing if I'm looking not I don't know if I'm looking for oh I'd love direction in that too but it, <laughs> I don't know if that's what I'm looking for. Um, that in my I think I told you about this, Cameron. My son and daughter-in-law went to a funeral last week um, of my daughter-in-law's um, relative. And a general authority had set him apart previously in the state presidency. And when the general authority found out that he was... Um, um, had passed away, he came and spoke at his funeral. And in the funeral, he, when he spoke, he said that, um, that he had been translated before he passed away, which I don't understand that because I, I don't get it. So, so here he's saying this for everybody to hear. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so I just don't know how all that works at all. And um, and 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 then here is my real my actual question is, um, do you think that the the divine laws that are needed to follow are like a basic set, or is it you think it's completely individualized depending on people's areas where they need to be 
strengthened or yeah, I got, I got lots of questions and <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I think that there's divine laws that are very strict in the fact that they're universal. They're, they apply to everyone regardless. And they're, they're pretty cut and dry yet. There are divine laws that seem to be, um, here's the the outcome but there's many different roads to that outcome kind of a thing and so i don't know I, I, that's a great question uh but um for me as, as far as my opinion goes i think that um we have kind of two different subsets of of laws um very universal and very uh, individual uh type things that you know, some things are, are very applicable to us in our specific missions. And, um, you know, like we've seen <clears throat> um, that two different people wanting the same blessing can sometimes go about it very different ways, right? And so um, I think knowledge, for one, is, is a universal law to seek him, but yet the way to go about that uh, and the the different lesser laws, or I guess you could say subset laws uh, to get there can be very different for uh, any given individual. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. Okay. Uh, can you give us a definition of a covenant curse as it relates to this? Um, Not to put you on the spot, but I'm putting you on the <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, like every law has a blessing and a curse. I mean, that's an irrefutable fact of all theology, that there's divine laws upon which all blessings and curses are predicated. And, and it comes down to a simple choice. And so, like in, in the fact of like death, you're saying, mm -hmm. or whatever. So mm -hmm. there's certain things that merit death. Like there's just certain curses that uh are certain laws that when disobeyed they um require death under the law of justice and so um i think that there is the uh, how do you say that i haven't actually had to word this out in <laughs> in words before um but like under the law of mercy you can have a substitute you can have a proxy with that and that's where a lot of martyrs fall into the the aspect right they seal their testimony with their blood and they die so that that others may live um and, you know accordingly <laughs> there's more than one way to translate we always talk about translation as in oh they don't die but that's not true for all translated beings uh in the scriptures at least what I've found, there's four different types of translation. And so um, sometimes there, there is a martyr's death type of translation, but they're still translated and they're still operating on the, the seraphim level in order to, um, to work in the, the spirit world on that side of the veil to accomplish their labors and, and everything. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Back to the original definition. So there, there's some law, whether it's our own that we've disobeyed, um, you know, denying the Holy Ghost or, or what have you. I mean, there's lots of different ways to uh, to break that that law, but um, that there's certain things that that merit death, and we see that a lot through the Old Testament. It's a very harsh law, right? You do this, you're stoned to death, and um, uh, we often take a look at it and go, "Oh, we don't have that penalty today," yet. There are many things that like evidences we don't live as long we we are subject to uh, mortality in a very different way that the ancients weren't um i don't know <laughs> that's the best i can put it into the words at the current moment i guess okay i i got one more question it has nothing to do with this it has to do with job and i can't verse but it was in the beginning when he made sacrifices in case his sons were sinning right it sounds is that what it sounds like mm -hmm. yes <laughs> i never noticed that before 
Then he did okay. the descent to help him. Yeah. It's like, wow. And it was okay. a type. It was a type of sacrifice like Jesus did in a lot of ways. If you look at the type, you know, mm -hmm. the Isaiah stuff. So, yeah, with Isaiah, the the ideas and theology behind that call it like a Davidic covenant patterned after um, King David or Hezekiah or, or any of those greats. But um, the fact that the law of justice is very strict, things merit certain blessings and curses. And the fact that we as proxy can step in to rend people's veils of unbelief to, to help fix the things so that they can live under the law of mercy for a time and that we bear the brunt of their justice um, is a very real principle throughout all of scripture. When that finally distilled upon me and clicked in my head, <laughs> it was like, oh, everything makes sense now. The whole endowment makes sense. The gospel makes sense. And you can see patterns of that uh, throughout everything. But but Job is is a huge one um, of choosing mm -hmm. that lifestyle. I mean, it's a hard lifestyle. Look at his life. I mean, it's a... <laughs> That's some some decents if you ever want to look at him, right? Um, but he willingly went through that uh, out of love and joy, so that he could uh, bring that to his family. Do you think that he, that um, well, you know, his 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 children died, but I'm thinking of the sons that his sacrifice there made it so they were could die. Um, innocent and not guilty of the whatever it was that he was fearing okay well i think it's more than fear why would you be why would you think that as a father you didn't have a pretty good inkling yeah. that yes so yeah. um that's a, that's a, such a big deal so yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Wow. so I that like too. even okay so don't take me wrong on this one i'm gonna word it in a way that's kind of <laughs> i guess i'm not that great with words today but like all proxy sacrifice is temporary so that like even christ right like if if we don't eventually repent and and fully give ourselves to him we have to bear the brunt of that sacrifice ourselves so when he steps in as a proxy and takes upon himself the law of justice on our behalf so that we can live under the law of mercy for a time that that's very temporary and we will have to to answer for that or pay the the full price and stuff i mean we see that through king david's story right as mm -hmm. well but um that all proxy sacrifice is is a temporary thing we eventually have to get to a point where we answer for our own things and I mean, if somebody's taking the time and the effort to sacrifice on our behalf, that is the the easiest way to it. That's the the less painful thing. But but regardless, the price has to be paid. There, the the law of justice demands it, and that's an eternal law that even God has to obey. And um, we learn that from the second lecture here. You know, He has to have faith in Himself. God the Father was the the Savior of of His world, and um, and as everybody's learning their their processes on coming back to him that's that's an interesting internal perspective to to come to there's so much in that story we don't have you know that could have his sacrifices did not go unnoticed by his sons and and perhaps that brought them around very cool thank you exactly and it's interesting to note who taught Job? Job is a non-member, right? I mean, he was not born in the, the religion. So Dinah is his wife that converts him and teaches him and, and loves him through that process because of her own descent. I mean, she was defiled and her brothers took <laughs> their revenge out on, on uh, the accusers or whatever you want to call them, right? But like she goes through her own descent and then reaches down and helps Job through his. So like there, there's a lot to that story that that play yeah. out the pattern of, of all things there. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. <laughs> sorry, now I'm like trying to go like where next? <laughs> um, 
so on the online version anyway it's number 144 but it's like towards all of the the questions kind of at the very end um where it says what testimony have men in the first instance that there is a god i think that this is like one of the the ones that hit me the hardest or yeah profoundly like the strongest when i was reading it i was like oh when it finally like clicked um like here's all of the genealogy here's the generations and and all of the stuff and taking a look at it um share that uh, graph again so all of that why what testimony have men in the first instance that there is a god the answer human testimony and human testimony only that is the entire crux of the whole issue and so i don't know it it's interesting you know that we're even discussing this on fast sunday right but human testimony is so powerful and an eternal principle and yet sometimes we just i don't know but we just don't take advantage of it we we kind of sweep it under the rug or or what have you um but but many times testimony is the catalyst for for change for faith for belief for everything right mm -hmm. um and it's human testimony only um I want to say that I don't know something came to mind but I don't know how to put it into words but um when I read that the first thing that popped into my head was Wilfred Woodruff's testimony um I, I'm sure many of you have heard it but I want to like play this really quick uh it, it's semi-short it's only like four minutes or so but the very first prophetic recording audio recording we have of a prophet of the restoration is Wilford Woodruff. And, and he is sharing a testimony of Joseph Smith and, and his work. And anyway, I'm glad that there's captions on it because it's kind of hard to understand because it was on these, these old tubes, but um, this is very powerful stuff here. And anyway, I want to ask how this relates to, to lecture second after we, we watch it. Wilford Woodruff speaking on March 19th. Okay, so does the audio come through there? I'm, I'll turn it up, but everything's working before I push. Okay. 1897. <laughs> Oh. 
Anyway, I just love listening to that testimony over and over again. <laughs> the first time that an institute teacher showed that to me, I was like, we actually have somebody on audio file that received all of that from Joseph Smith himself. I don't know why that that made such a connection for me. But when I read um, this, this question here, what excited, let's see not that one where'd it go <laughs> it was 140 oh what testimony have men in the first instance that there is a god human testimony and human testimony only i think that that it hit me with the exact same sentiment the exact same feelings and emotions of oh how powerful human testimony is you know yes it can be written yes it can be audio what have you but but testimony is an infallible thing you know they always tell us as, as missionaries don't bible bash bear testimony because testimony is something that nobody can refute i mean it is what it is if you've had an experience they cannot believe you but they can't take it away from you it, it's something that is a you're, you're bearing witness you're bearing a testimony of something that um is true and is a reality for you and I mean, yes, we can have various levels of, of testimony, right? Um, somebody getting up, a little kid, I know the church is true, I know my parents love me, I know Jesus loves me, amen, kind of a thing. But yet, as we grow throughout all of our, our levels of, of knowledge and, and learning and receive greater and greater light and witnesses, we are to bear testimony of that because that is the only way to transmit faith throughout the generations like yes god can just appear to us if he if he like he has power to do it but the pattern is that we rely upon human testimony and human testimony only in order to know that it's possible to approach god and then to fearlessly ask seek and knock you know, throughout the process of our lives. I think that that is such a powerful punchable. I, I probably butchered the explanation of that, but like, I don't know. Lectures on faith, number two, lecture second is now one of my favorites. Like, it is just so good. I, I love all of the genealogies, even though it's like a lot of, of processing and math when you're trying to do it. But um, there, there's so much in here that helps solidly rest my testimony upon the forefathers as it goes back through the generations anyway what are your guys's thoughts questions just anything on lecture second i don't know if anybody has their hand raised i can't see much on my phone but 
I remember last year as we studied the Doctrine and Covenants, there was a scripture that stated to the effect, I wish I knew where it was, that every time we bore our testimony, that it gave us lots of special blessings. And I remember thinking, because there's a guy in my church that bears it every single time, every single month. And I look up to him and I decided that's something I'm going to do. And I know they roll their eyes because I do. I get up almost every month just remembering that promise in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I do have a strong testimony. And I do want to be a light to other people as much as I can anyway. Yeah. I love that. One of the things that is oft forgotten, I think, um, is that by bearing our testimony, our sins are remitted, right? And what a huge blessing that is. You know, we can bear them out loud. We can bear them silently. but, But bearing testimony, sins are remitted. That is a divine law. And it can either have a blessing or a curse if you choose to obey it. Yeah, I love that. So I did bear my testimony today. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody rolled their eyes at me again. (laughs) I don't care. I just don't care. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, Leslie. I'm so sorry. I'm being so chatty today, but... (laughs) This one, I, I was like, oh, uh, when I knew that this was not, like your, not your favorite one, I, I think I went into it with <laughs> a bit of a bias. I shouldn't have done it. Didn't it? <laughs> I know, but it's turning out it has changed my world. Mine too. And <clears throat> absolutely changed my world. I'm so glad. And I will tell you why. Um, <clears throat> go to I guess um, number 55 and um, uh, most of my life I've, I've spent being a broken girl even though I've been a member of the church over 40 years um, uh, there's some things that I believed that started in childhood and just carried on that, you know, the, the wrong kinds of beliefs about myself. And, um, <clears throat> that even though I sought for change on all sorts of paths and, and books and, you know, you, you name it, I, I tried it and, and going to the Lord and, and just, having varying degrees of success and um but I had a paradigm shift this week and in uh let's see it says so it's on the third the 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 second line the end of the second line it says um talks is talking about God the extent of so I'm going to replace there with my because that's how the lord taught me so the extent of my knowledge respecting god's character and glory will depend upon my diligence and faithfulness in seeking after him and that just hit me okay until like enoch the brother of jared and moses they shall obtain faith in uh, i shall obtain faith in god and power with him to behold him face to face And that changed everything for me as I was um, studying Psalms um, in the, I don't, I don't think I wrote it down um, because I really wasn't planning on sharing it, but um, talks about how we don't how um in the first psalm not to give heed to the things um to the uh, things that the ungodly say or do whatever whatever it is i don't i don't have it verbatim and um 
I didn't, I, I was able to see myself in a different light and see some of those that I loved and shaped how I believe what I, how I believed about myself, that they were, you know, we can be a package of godly and ungodly all at the same time. And seeing that they, I didn't dare want to think of them as ungodly, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we just can be and that they were in that great and spacious building pointing fingers of scorn as I stumblingly tried to um, learn the gospel and live the gospel um, which was completely foreign to me but um, I, you know we it's all a process of of learning how to do that and um for some, for some, I was not enough and never would be enough and just not being able to do things right. And it, you know, it's, just, it's just, just a big mess. So, um, I had all, I had thought of, um, after tasting the fruit and being ashamed and falling away. And I just thought of that too. I'm a, I'm, I'm a literal thing. I think too literally. And, and I never applied that to myself thinking I, I haven't fallen away. I have still tried my best, but I fell away in my love for Christ and in his love for me and not really my love for Christ, but my trust in Christ. And that's exactly what this is, trusting God and trusting Christ. And, and uh, I think in, in uh, another place in Psalms, it's a um, Davidic, a messianic um, Psalm of David talking about how Christ um you know, he suffered the scorn of others and how all he is interested in is doing the will of the father. And so back to this uh, 55 is like, it doesn't matter how weak I am, how anything I am. um, I have such a strong desire to seek after him. And that's that is oh dear that is what matters and um and i just felt such relief and it's like finally you got it i could feel the heavens going okay you're 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 good because um we can all be diligent and faithful in seeking after god in christ and and nothing else matters and that's what christ did and um, in the question number one six goes along with that. It says, "How do men obtain a knowledge of the glory of God, His perfections, and His attributes?" And it says, "By devoting themselves to, to His service." You know, I used to say, um, "What would thou have me do?" And it has morphed into, "What can I do for you?" And it's the, it's a subtle change, but it makes just being excited. What do I get to do? And I'm pretty sure I followed Christ around for many years when pre-mortally, just being a puppy at his side and wanting to be with him and do whatever it was that he, any little thing I could do. And um, the second one is pray, prayer and supplication and I think that the adversary had gotten to me going like I I grew up with trying to be fly under the radar and not cause any waves don't ask questions just um you know be invisible and then you get in less trouble and it's a lot less painful and so I, I ended up doing that with God too, not asking enough questions, not asking for enough help. And, um, that ended up being problematic for me. And then the third thing is, um, straight and strengthening their faith in him. And I, 
I've noticed that I, as I've taken um, President Eyring's counsel to record seeing the hand of the Lord every day in our lives, how that is strengthening my faith in him. And then it says, and it's very similar to what it says at the age of 55, that until like Enoch, the brother of Jared and Moses, they obtained a manifestation of God to themselves, to myself. So I know that, um, boy, he, he wants, he absolutely wants this for us and he wants this for us so bad. <laughs> and I didn't, I don't think I really believed that, um, not anywhere in as much as I do this week than I had before. And it's, uh, it's awesome. So how, you know, one, one little paragraph can, um, you know, that knowledge, having that knowledge and how that light come in can change everything. Yeah. I love it. <clears throat> and like, um, <clears throat> like in the Wilford Woodruff clip there or whatever that he uh, bore testimony that he received his endowments from Joseph Smith and that, uh, here's a list of other people and other people that I can't even remember received their, their list from him. But um, I think it's very interesting. If, if any of you have like uh, looked into the last charge meeting that he's testifying about there um, where he's giving him, Hey, this is your mission on this earth. You have to do this. You have to carry on what I started. You have to finish it. And uh, this is the last charge. But um the endowment of power that they received at that point and and it all comes from uh like what you're talking about there um the extent of their knowledge respecting his character and glory depend upon diligence and faithfulness and seeking after him and it's the pattern of all the prophets they're prophets for a reason because they followed the pattern um that one video that i posted a, a while back on um it, my mom shared it with me I, i'm sure it probably went around on social media too, but um, where all of these prophets and apostles are testifying of their experiences with God, how they know they have a sure witness. Uh, and President Packer explains it <laughs> like it's one of my favorite ones or whatever. He's like, I know because it's the pattern and I tested the pattern and it works. I, I testify with all my heart that it works. Um, and it, seriously, all of these things come down to human testimony and human testimony only knowing that it's possible is the first hurdle um and then then comes uh, putting it into to action uh, like you said here the extent of the knowledge depends upon us diligence and faithfulness and seeking after him it comes down to questions it, like for me everything revolves around questions if you're not receiving the answers that you want you're asking the wrong questions reframe your faith and your questions and the answers will flow um and anyway i, I just love how the gospel works <laughs> sometimes it's really hard right but but it's so powerful when when it clicks and when it works and when we have those paradigm shifts in our lives uh, god's so willing to to come to us and shower us with with the mysteries this was an interesting one um my mom asked me she's like okay define mysteries and i'm like <clears throat> i don't know but um here's what kind of came to to my head of you know so it obviously wasn't me but it, it kind of came to me a mystery needs <laughs> to be everything that's on the other side of our personal veil of belief because everybody has different mysteries, right? Like some things are just second nature. You just have a sure witness of it. And that might not be a mystery to somebody else, but whatever your veil of unbelief, you have mysteries on the other side that you just don't know. You, and, and we are commanded to search after the mysteries. That's, that's the, one of the main things. That's the whole lesson from Eden is to come back, part the veil, seek the mysteries and and the mysteries are grand <laughs> as we uh learn 
how to do that in, in greater and greater measure along our, our paths. Uh, <laughs> my dad's. I am curious as to how many favorites you do have. Um, I have all seven of them listed as my favorites, but um, I think number five is my all-time favorite. Number three and number two are just like neck and neck for number two spot on my list. I mean, they're all great. All seven of them are like the most powerful, but number five, because I think, I think the reason number five is my favorite is because it was the most paradigm shifting for me like it literally shook me and I was like what does this mean for me and so it became my favorite because I took the the time to to diligently seek and ask and knock and, and receive on that one so everybody's favorites are going to be different I think <laughs> but um like lecture first you know, this, this wasn't necessarily my favorite either, but last week, man, that was such a good discussion in all three of our groups and stuff. Like, yeah, all seven, they're all my favorites. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else? Anyone wants to share on lecture second or anything else? such a fun one it's a long read though there's lots of genealogies and isn't that kind of indicative of our own genealogies of i mean we have a long line of of work to do right on linking our families together and i think it kind of comes down to the same principles that lecture second brings out here it's based on human testimony and human testimony only and it's about the omnipotence the omnipresence of god that it's not just linear it's not just testimonies one direction but it's about taking our testimony upon the the faithful of our ancestors and then taking that backwards and forwards um and really amplifying that making it heard on both sides of the veil um that is is a huge principle of of testifying um, so that they may know that you know and and seeking theirs you know maybe they didn't write it down maybe they weren't faithful in, in journal keeping or, or what have you but um, asking them to bear testimony to you if they did gain a, a sure witness of certain parts of the gospel Um, so next week, we don't have a uh, class for education week. Um, so next week is our, our bye week. But after that, we'll be back on the 21st uh, for lecture third. And then I don't think we have any more interruptions. I think that's the only one. But lecture third. It, it's another great one. That one's where we get into characters, perfections, attributes yeah that one's that one's like preach my gospel but like next level <laughs> that's the advanced course all right well it's been fun we'll see some of you in, in a little bit <laughs> some of you are diehards <laughs> hey cameron yeah can i just want to say thanks for everybody and their prayers for my neighbor's um son that i asked about last week he did pass away he he is um they were able to at least get his body to san diego and he donated organs oh wow but um and that was their next thing they were asking that if you know he couldn't make it that they would be able to at least keep his him his heart alive to be able to donate his organs and they were able to do that and they just got back yesterday from san diego so so what thank you, everybody. And, and blessing. Some of those things are so hard, but you just don't know. It's just yeah. they are hard. Them are the hard questions when it's a child. They're really difficult. They are. But yeah, thanks for letting us know and, and letting us be a part of that so that we could pray. Well, I do appreciate it. And I know the family 
does very, very much. They're so, they believe that he was, that was part of him being able to be kept alive from Japan to San Diego to be able to at least give back that portion. And they firmly believe that helped. So thank you very much, everyone. Did you say that they were members or not? What's that? They're not members of the church. Oh, they are members. Yes, they are. But he, the son had, you know, he had kind of, he wasn't sure where he was going in life and ended up going into the Marines to try and figure, you know, some stuff out. Mm -hmm. It's everything's still under investigation. They don't know the exact cause or what, so. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, we'll still pray for that family. Well, it's hard times when the unknown is a lot of times worse than the known. <laughs> yep. oh, yeah, thanks for the update. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, and so do they. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see everyone in a couple weeks. If not sooner. <laughs> All right. Have a uh, rest of your Sabbath, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>